Ask yourself a simple question. Can I approach this person with a concern? And will they hold the concern? Will they validate my concern? Will they be fully present to me? Or do they dominate, become defensive, become demanding, become dismissive? Then if those qualities happen in the relationship, then there's a real, real concern. This is episode number 576 with Dr. David Hawkins. And we're going to be talking about relationships with narcissistic and emotional abuse and whether they can be saved. I think the general opinion is that they cannot, that it's probably too far gone. And we're going to come come up with some alternate views about um, narcissistic and emotional abuse. And I'm excited to bring you this conversation. Hi, everybody. I am Sandy Wiener, and welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date. And to support you on your journey to lasting love, I have written two books. The first one is Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And this book is not just for dating, it's really for core confidence. It's 30 tips to help you to become a better human. And um, the second book is called Choice Points in Dating. And this book I wrote because so many people feel that they're out of choice and that you were just born this way or it's the town you live in and you don't really have choices. And I'm here to tell you that you have many choices and not just the choice of how to find a partner, but how to date, how to think about dating, when to stay, when to go, how to know that it's your last first date. And so you can find both of these books on Kindle and paperback uh, on Amazon. And every week I bring you a tip from the Woman of Value book. This week it's step number 15, which is be a lifetime learner. And I, there's nothing more sexy than people who continue to learn for a lifetime. And it's certainly never too late to learn new things. I love, I love learning. I know that if you want to really be an interesting person, that learning and growing is just such an important thing. So my challenge to you this week is if there is something that you are just thinking about learning, a, a course you want to take, a language you want to learn, someplace you want to travel and learn more about that place, just put one step down to get get closer to being a lifetime learner. And before I bring Dr. Hawkins on, I just wanted to invite you, if you're not yet a member of my amazing Facebook group, please join us at Your Last First Date. We are a group for women over 40 who are interested in self-growth, who are interested in a positive place to talk about dating and relationships. There are very few of these groups out there. There are very few groups that have monitors who actually monitor posts. And I have seven amazing monitors. I come on there live every week. You're first to know about all my podcasts, my blogs, my videos. Uh, and it's just a wonderful place where you don't just come and talk about how disappointed you are because that doesn't help you very much. So join us at your last first date. And now for my fabulous guest, Dr. David Hawkins. He is a clinical psychologist and the director of the Marriage Recovery Center. 
He's a best-selling author of over 30 books. That's pretty amazing. He's been doing this since 1976, and he has helped bring healing to thousands of marriages and individuals. He is passionate about working with couples in crisis, and he helps them discover new ways of doing things so they can have healthy, thriving relationships. Welcome to the podcast, David. Sandy, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Let's start with the common indicators that there is this type of abuse in a relationship. Narcissistic and emotional abuse is first felt before it's really understood. And that's an important thing for people to, to get there, to wrap their brains around it. They feel it. And what, what do they feel? They feel small. They feel invisible. They feel alone. They feel frightened. They feel unsafe because you know, emotional abuse is about when you approach your mate with a concern, which we all have. If you're in any kind of relationship, you have concerns. And at that, at the crux, at the place where a person approaches their mate, their partner, their date, whoever it is, they approach them with a concern and they're met with defensiveness, powering over, dominating, angry response. You can see then, Sandy, at that place then, Oh my goodness. Now, so at the at the moment of where there's a bit of conflict because this person who is emotionally abusive can't hold the concern, can't validate the concern, then more trouble occurs. So I think anyone for them to think about is there any emotional abuse in this relationship? Ask yourself a simple question. Can I approach this person with a concern? And will they hold the concern? Will they validate my concern? Will they be fully present to me? Or do they dominate, become defensive, become demanding, become dismissive? Then if those qualities happen in the relationship, then there's a real, real concern. Yeah, I think this is great because many of us dismiss our feelings and we override them and we think maybe we're being too demanding, too defensive, too, uh, too sensitive, I mean. And I think that um, I'd like to, to address that. Like what, what types of people end up in these relationships and ignore these signs? I think any type of person, you know, when you, when you ask that question, Sandy, you know, I don't know. I mean, of course, of course, we all talk about empaths. We talk about people who are very sensitive. We talk about people that perhaps have poor boundaries, that are, have some uh, level of codependence. But my goodness, any of us could get swept up into an emotionally abusive, narcissistically abusive relationship. So I don't know. I'm, I don't, I'm not too keen on saying, aha, it's this kind of person. But if I were to go there, it would be saying someone who's very empathic, very sensitive, and perhaps even a bit naive. And they go into this relationship, they go into this partnership, this dating relationship, and they think, okay, yeah, I feel unsettled. I feel uncomfortable. I feel overridden. I feel I'm starting to feel more and more invisible. You know, it started out like a bang. It started out really good. You know, this person was very attractive and uh, dynamic and so on. And then back to my former point, I brought a concern to this person and ah, they couldn't handle it. They couldn't hold it. And then and what did they do now? Notice that I used the word 
uh, defensive and demanding. So if you've got somebody, Sandy, who's defensive and demanding, now all of a sudden, back to me in this relationship, I'm going to question myself because they're questioning me. I say to them, I'm concerned. And they say to me, oh, you don't need to be concerned. And I say, well, well, I am concerned. Oh, you, you don't need to be concerned. Uh, you're doing something. Oh, no, I'm not doing it. You're doing. OK, so you see this cloud of confusion. <clears throat> I call it uh, emotional quicksand. So you feel yourself sinking, sinking. I can't I can't bring a concern. Is it is it me? Well, it must be me. They're saying it's me. I don't think it's me. I think it's this person, but they're saying it's not them. And so anyway, that happens. Notice that emotional abuse, Sandy, is something that happens again and again and again and again and again and again. And it's not a one off. So they are this. We, you or I, if we are being abused, we are being dismissed again and again and again. We're being neglected. There's a word, by the way, that we don't use often enough. Emotional neglect. When we don't get what we deserve to get in a relationship, the attention, the admiration, the care, the concern. So what kind of person? It's a person who is empathic and caring and sensitive and kind and wants to make the relationship work. And this other person doesn't give it that kind of a chance. It's such an interesting dynamic. And unfortunately, it happens a lot. And I, I love the term emotional quicksand. I was thinking of gaslighting, which is another term that's used when people think you're yeah. the crazy one, right? And you start wondering, maybe I am. And um, another thing that I've seen happen is that people who have emotional abuse tend to continue with the relationship and kind of isolate themselves in terms of not really depending on their partner anymore for anything. Like they, they continue with an, a life kind of outside of the relationship and they don't tell anyone. Many people don't tell anyone about so true. the fact, so true. right? And so why do people do that? You know, why, why is that? Be, be, because Sandy, how can, how can I'm going to I'm going to use the gender woman. It could be a man, but let's for the moment talk about the woman. So and then and you're appealing. You you speak to a, a mature audience. So this mature person. So she's fallen for someone. She's in this relationship. And and now she she's uh, her life is intertwined with him. But it's going sideways. It's going badly. But her life now is intertwined with him. Because remember, he doesn't just have bad qualities. He's got some good qualities. Um, he cares or she cares for him and so on. So their life is intertwined together. She wants to make the relationship work, but alas, she is feeling more and more invisible. And remember what I said, she doesn't know how to talk about all this. I mean, how do I, how do I frame it? What, I mean, what even is emotional abuse? What even is narcissism? You know, we, we throw at that term, Sandy, it's a fully misunderstood term. I and mean, we, you know, we, we all know what, when we, when we say, ah, that person is narcissistic, if they're flagrantly narcissistic, that's kind of easy to tell. But what if this is a common Joe? I mean, what if, what if he's a nice guy? What if nobody else would even understand this? If I were to say to you, Sandy, I'm, I'm in a relationship with someone and I, 
I'm feeling worse and worse and worse. And but I, I love him. But I don't even know how to tell you why I feel worse and worse. I don't know how to say that because I mean, when I brought up the concern to him, he says, no, 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 there's no, no, there's nothing to be concerned about. This is not happening. Uh, it's you. It, it, maybe it's how do I how do I how in the world do I walk up to a friend and say, uh, I'm feeling my friend asked me, how's this going? How's your relationship going? And I want to say, I, I I don't know. I'm I'm confused. I don't feel good. I feel more and more and more invisible. My friends, you feel invisible. What in the world does that mean? And I don't know what it means exactly. I, I have because I haven't been able to frame it exactly. And by the way, this is off on a little bit of a tangent, but if she goes out into YouTube land and looks for some kind of answers, she's going to get a plethora of or plethora. How do you say that? Anyway, it's a bunch. <laughs> it's a she's going to get a bunch of mixed mixed reviews. I mean, some many of the reviews are going to say run for your life if you think he's narcissistic. But wait a minute, I I love him. I care about him. I want this date to work. I want this relationship to work. So anyway. So that's what she gets caught up in this web and and then extricating herself can be far more difficult than you might imagine. No, that's a good explanation. And and I think it's good for people to hear that it is common for people to feel this way and to get involved with people like this and to not really understand exactly what's going on because emotions aren't aren't just one note. We can feel right. many things at the same time. And I think that's that's also a hard thing for people to to understand. Um, One more comment on that, that, that <clears throat> when I, I, I've tried to, in all of my uh, videos that I've done, I've done many, uh, I try to, uh, if you will, almost normalize some of this stuff. Like, I mean, what, what is it, what does narcissism look like? Well, we know what it looks like on the end of the continuum. We know this. If someone is uh, takes up all the air in the room, you know, they're just they're they're bombastic, they're loud, they're aggressive, they're I mean, we know that person. But the common Joe or the common Susie, what I think narcissism can look like in many cases is emotional immaturity. And so so many women, again, using that gender, so many women will say to me, you know, I, I feel like he's a little boy in some ways. And he is. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. He is a little boy. It's emotional regression or emotional uh, immaturity. And we might smile when we say that. It's not a smiling matter. If you're with someone who is fun and caring and, you know, you enjoy being with them, but really in certain places and in certain ways, they are six-year-olds. That is not fun. Not Nothing fun about that. The being with somebody who throws a temper tantrum, who flips a script, who rewrites history, who blames, shames, all that kind of emotional immaturity, which, by the way, is embedded in their character. Ooh, did Dr. Hawkins say that? Yes, he did. Embedded in their character. These are characterological issues, we call them. So they're pervasive, although pervasive doesn't mean that they that he acts like a six-year-old with everyone, because he may not. He may just act like a six-year-old with you in the face of conflict and doesn't show up at all at work and in other friendships. So emotional immaturity is another hallmark. And so way to think about all of this is if you're with someone who you say to yourself, 
boy, in certain situations, they are so immature. Put an asterisk by that and give that some more serious thought. Yeah. So when I first got divorced from a very emotionally immature man, I did a lot of reading on narcissism and talked about it a lot and wanted to prevent other people from being in relationships where their needs were not met and where they could, mm. couldn't have conflict resolution. And over time, I have realized, first of all, we, we don't have the right to diagnose people. Um, it, this is, it's a clinical right. diagnostic um, thing that needs to happen. Um, and the most important thing is to recognize the behavior, not the title. The, the, to me, the label can really get in the way and we can easily put people in a box that we don't even really understand. So in my Facebook group, for example, one of our guidelines is you don't label people. We're, we don't allow the use of the word narcissist um, just to, just to somebody will say something about a person. They'll say, Oh, that's a narcissist run away. That's not for them to decide, but I have people focus on the behaviors, just like you're talking about. If somebody, if you come to a partner and they are dismissive and shaming and blaming and can't handle any type of conflict at all, yep. that's a huge, huge red flag. And, um, so you do say though, that, that people, can um, work towards healing and repairing these types of relationships. So tell us what steps people can take if, if this type of healing is even possible. Sandy, my, probably my favorite word in the dictionary, at least as a clinician, my favorite word is intervention. Intervention is done far too infrequently. You got to say that right. If far too infrequently, doesn't happen enough. So, <clears throat> so what happens for all of us, you know, we end up tolerating more than we want to tolerate. We end up uh, accepting more than we want to accept. All right. So this 40-year-old, 50-year-old, 60-year-old, this mature person comes to me in my practice and wants some help. For sure, in the first hour, I'm going to use the word intervention. And what does that mean? That means I'm I'm going to help this individual become clear about what are they tolerating that they don't want to tolerate and for sure they will come up with a list of things that they are tolerating and then and then when i say okay are you are you ready for an intervention it's very common for people to think in catastrophic terms oh does that mean i have to leave them quit the relationship walk away talk i gotta i gotta end it because that's what the other youtube videos are saying walk away run don't even ooh, don't even look back i mean don't don't let the door hit I me mean, get out of course not. Of course not. And I love your, uh, your your book is about choices and you're about choices. So there are choices available. You can have mini interventions. What's a mini intervention? A mini intervention is where you're going to say to this individual, look, if, if, if you're going to get angry and and harm me hurt, or hurt me emotionally, I'm going to walk out of the room. I'm I'm going to or I'm going to even maybe within my own head I'm going to say I don't like this. I'm going to get clearer about what I don't like. What are the wh when does it happen? Where does it happen? How does it happen? I'm going to I'm going to seek some I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and tell a friend about what's going on. I'm going to get myself into counseling. Anyway, there's many 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 steps that can be taken and ultimately of course, yes, a person can say 
I won't be in relationship with you if I can't, if I don't feel esteemed and valued. And if you don't change how you handle things when I approach you with a concern, but intervention, Sandy, intervention, we can, we all have choices and, and we can have an impact. And you use the term, uh, these people, I want everybody to remember that too, that these people it's a continuum. When we use the narcissist word, of course, there are those on the far end of the spectrum that are narcissistic personalities, narcissistic personality disorder. And that's a very serious uh, malady. It goes all the way down to someone who is emotionally immature. And that is harmful as well. So doesn't mean you have to leave, but you can intervene into this problem. You have more power than you think. And you and I and others will help this person find their power and their choices. I love having choices, obviously. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking of boundaries for sure. When you start setting boundaries, you see how somebody responds. A lot of times, though, when you start setting boundaries with somebody who has violated every boundary of yours, uh, they get really angry and um over time, and I, and I can just give an example with my parents. Um, I grew up in a home with very, very weak boundaries. And when my parents got divorced, my father would call me and badmouth my mother. My mother would tell me too much about her dating life. You know, there were just a lot of privacy violations. Um, there were also things that I set boundaries. So I started setting boundaries with my dad by hanging up the phone when he would talk to me about my mom, uh -huh. I'd say to him, I gave him a, a heads up. I'm going to be hanging up. This is not, a, it's not appropriate for you to be talking like this. And he got mad, but over time he got better and he stopped doing it. So, you know, and with my mom, with giving unsolicited advice, and this is another, another thing that's just super annoying when you're in partnership with people. And so I would set a boundary and say, you know, I appreciate that you're trying to help, you know, here's what would work better. And are you open to hearing what would work better? You know, and I, and I teach courses on communication and boundaries because this work is just so important you know, telling somebody it's not okay to talk to me this way. I will leave the room. I will hang up the phone. Um, and again, I, I just want to remind our audience that this doesn't change overnight, but with, with somebody who actually can change to stick with it, you know, and see what happens. I'm curious what you would say about this, this whole process. Well, I, I love your story. I love your story. This is and what I'm about to move into right now. Sandy, I, I get some pushback when I talk about what I'm about to say. And what I'm about to say is notice in your story, you followed through, you clearly defined the boundary and then you followed through, you enforced the boundary. And I want to say to everyone, you know, we, we, we often will say, or we'll hear the words, Oh, they, no, 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 they won't accept a boundary. They will bust through it. They will that I, I get it. That certainly there's truth to that. But I'm, I always have to ask the uncomfortable question. Are, are you sure you've really set the boundary because a boundary is clearly defined and then it's clearly enforced. You said, I will, I'll hang up the phone. Yeah. And then you did it. You hung up the phone and then notice your story. You, you said you did it again and again. And over time, your father changed 
or at least mm-hmm. grew some. That's what will happen. I mean, you've heard the saying, and I've heard that. I wish I had coined it. I didn't. We teach people how to treat us. Now, mm-hmm. the reason this is such a, a concerning topic for me to lean into is, you know, somebody out there is going to say, oh, wait a minute. Are you putting it on me to, yes, I am putting it on you. Yes, I am. That, And if you're not ready to set the boundary, then be truthful with yourself about that, that I'm, I'm not ready. I'm too scared. It's too, um, because he will this, he will control money. He will get angry. He will. Yes, yes, yes. He, uh, he might, he might do any, or she might do any number of things, but ask yourself the question, have I really set the boundary? Have I been in, and what I mean by that is, is it clearly defined? If you, Sandy, would you say again, what did you say to your father? If you do blank, then I will blank. Would you say? Yeah. If you continue talking about mom, I will hang up. There you go. Perfect. So everybody listen, (laughs) if you continue talking about mom, I will hang up and then you hang up. So, so many folks say this to me, Sandy, they say, you know, I just can't take it anymore. And they take it. (laughs) I just won't. And they say to this date, the partner, this friend, you know, look, I won't tolerate that. I won't tell. I really won't. I'm I'm serious now. I really, really, I'm no, I mean it now. I won't. I really won't. And they do. Mm-hmm. And so they're teaching this other person that, that there, there really isn't a boundary. So anyway, the question for people to reflect on is, is this, is this other person in their life, this friend, this partner, this date, this whoever it is, are they really the incredible boundary buster that they want to think that this other person is? And maybe they are. Maybe they are a dominant, dismissive, demanding, defensive, narcissistic individual. And or is it? Have I not really clearly defined the boundary and then enforced it and followed through and really shored up my individuality and what I think and what I feel and what I value? So boundaries are born out of our values, out of our conviction. They're clearly defined and then they're clearly enforced again and again and again and again. Such a such a massively critical topic. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. Yes, I, I love this topic. And I think that, that the key that you just said is the enforcing part. I think that people think they set boundaries and they, they say, I, I, I don't, you, your behavior bothers me. Okay, well, then what? You know, are you going to do something about it? I mean, I had this with my children and I think any parent can relate, especially if you have children who are obstinate and um, defiant, which I have had. And I remember Mm. learning these skills when my daughter was like 13, 14. She was extremely obnoxious to me. It Mm. was right after the divorce. She was very angry. And one of the things I started doing was 
taking myself away from the situation, saying to her, I am going to leave the room because I don't want to say something I'll regret. Mm. And I will come back and we can talk when I come back. So I wanted to model for her how to self-soothe, how to regulate my emotions. And, And it's another tool that I think people in argument can do. It's like, you don't just leave the room. That's what happened in my marriage. When my husband was unhappy with how I was Mm. trying to resolve a situation, he would walk out of the room. He would stonewall Mm. me. And I didn't understand all these terms, stonewalling, defensiveness, criticism, and contempt, and how terrible they are for a relationship, but they all showed up. And I think Mm -hmm. that it's so important to be aware of these toxic ways of being together and how to deal with them so that they don't continue and you don't start to feel invisible. Um, So you do, you have some success stories to share with us. Yeah. So can you share a success story or two and tell us like, what were the key elements that helped these people succeed? Yeah, I, um, uh, a plug for my next book, which I've not written yet, <laughs> but I'm on my first chapter. You'll appreciate you're a writer. So I'm <laughs> I am starting. Uh, I'm well into actually. I've got the outline and I've started my, my next book. And the title, the working title is So She Says You're a Narcissist. Now what? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so it's for it's for men. Uh we have a we have a comprehensive core program, Sandy. And anyway, so she says you're a narcissist. Now what? And rather than like, oh, no, he's got narcissistic tendencies or she has narcissistic. No. Do, do we reel from that or do we? So I challenge men and I successfully challenge men. And that's what uh, some people are going to click off right now and go like, no, 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 no. If someone's <laughs> a narcissist, they cannot change. It's just not true. Back to the word intervention. If 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 I can create and help set up a good intervention, which means it may mean separating or hanging up the phone or being out of relationship for a time. And you have to have what, you know, we call it relational equity. You have to have, I mean, if the person's got to care, and I know there's people out there saying, ah, they don't care. Well, Remember, these are six-year-olds, and many of them actually do care. So our programs are filled, overfilled, overflowing with men who, at first, they have external motivation, meaning, Dr. Hawkins, I'm here because my girlfriend, my my mate, my whatever, my spouse, whatever, says they will leave me. And so I guess I have to be in. She's called me a narcissist. And so I have to be here. Sure. Do I get the grumbling and the growling and all that kind of stuff at first? Absolutely. We do. We as a team, we do. But over time, Sandy, I'm just not sure what my colleagues out there in video land are seeing because we see change. We see, I mean, do do we see the... (laughs) late stage NPDs. No, no, we don't. We don't. They don't, they don't show up, but an emotionally abusive, narcissistically abusive man, they show up where our, our programs are overflowing with men again, externally motivated at first, but 
growing is good. It, it, it you, you sort of alluded to that at the start of the the podcast. I mean, it, it feels good to grow and and to be a learner and such. And so these men start to grow. They start to become learners of emotional development and relationship development. And it starts to, you can see them. You stay, start to come back to, we've got three, a three-tiered group program. The first group, grumbling, growling, annoyed. Yeah, she called me a narcissist and I hate that. Right? Got it. I know you do. I know you do. And then, and then we watch them just begin to gradually, gradually change. Wow, growing up can be kind of cool. It can be kind of fun to become, to learn how to validate, to learn how to empathize. By the way, empathy, as you well know, empathy is a skill that can be cultivated and developed. So whenever a woman says to me, oh, he doesn't have any empathy, doesn't have any, none. I believe you. I believe, I believe that he doesn't, but he can, he can more often than not. So anyway, 14 weeks in our beginning core program, growling, irritated, blaming her for anyway. And then the next 14 weeks we see growth. And then we have a six month program that the men sign up for again and again and again and again. So anybody out there who is saying, you know, someone who has narcissistic tendencies, not NPD, narcissistic tendencies, emotionally abusive tendencies. If you tell me they can't change, I'm going to give you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories to the contrary, where the men have appreciated growth. They have learned that they, <clears throat> they need to clean their side of the street and that doing good feels good and becoming a healthy man is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I've got hundreds of stories like that. That's great. And congrats on the next book. I'm in the middle yeah. of my, my next book too. Wow. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> no congrats yet. Now it's a weekend spent writing and, <laughs> you know, looking at people playing out there and me going, oh, I better get <laughs> writing. A book does not write itself as you well no, know. It's, it's definitely a labor of love, but yeah. it's, it's so helpful to have all this information out there. And I, I think, I'm glad you brought up the narcissistic personality disorder in the late stages because those people are far gone. They are not, mm -hmm. they're not willing to come into your office to come into a, any kind of program. Uh, you know, it's always somebody else's problem. And it's sad that yes. these people are so closed off and don't have any awareness uh, as to the kind of skills they can learn and the type of relationships that they could have which uh, do require empathy, relationship, relational awareness, um, all the skills to, yeah. to do all these things. One of the really interesting things that happened at the end of my marriage was my ex-husband decided to finally get help. Mm. And he, he went to a therapist. The therapist wasn't very good, but then he met somebody who introduced him to nonviolent communication. That's our, and, uh, that's our core book. It, okay, good. Rosenberg, yeah, Dr. Rosenberg. Yeah, yeah, Marshall Rosenberg. Yep. And so he learned a formula for empathy and he actually became a facilitator. He made an, a labyrinth. He's a very visual person. So he created an empathy labyrinth and he puts I it down this. on the ground and you walk, you walk through your feelings and needs, you walk through all the judgment on the outside, and then you come in with a direct 
request. And I mean, it's, it's, he has people sit in the middle. Need request. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's really powerful and it helped our marriage dissolve in a way that was really friendly and amicable. We could talk through things for the first time. I mean, it wasn't enough to really pull us together because we really should never have been together in my opinion. Yeah. But it was such a gift and he he's trying. I mean, he he still shuts down easily. You know, he's got some core things that don't go away, but he mm. is able to be in relationship. He has a better relationship with his children and with me. And so I have seen it firsthand when you learn mm. empathy. It's, it's such an amazing, amazing gift. Uh, learning how to make observation, learning how to share feelings, mm -hmm. not I feel like you, which is <laughs> <No>. <laughs> a blame and an accusation. And Dr. Rosenberg goes into great length about, no, wait a minute, that's not a feeling. Yes, that is. No, that's not. Dr. Rosenberg's kind of, he's actually a little picky, you know, like, I feel controlled. No, nah. Dr. Rosenberg says, nope, I feel judged. And Sandy, it's a little bit funny. Whenever I confront a man about feelings, you're like, I feel like she doesn't love me. Yeah, that's that's not a feeling. What are you feeling? No, I feel like she doesn't love me. Yeah, yeah. Can we can we can we isolate what what might you be feeling? I told you, Dr. Hawkins, <laughs> I feel like she doesn't love me. That's my feeling, you know. Like yeah. and we all do that to some extent. Like, like, I mean, this. Getting in touch with your feelings is a bigger deal than anyone might imagine. Like, well, and then, I mean, women too, men and women like, uh, well, so think about what are you feeling? And then uh, in my counseling, they'll go like, uh, uh, I feel, uh, I don't know. And surely <laughs> they don't know. And so I, I love the, I love your ex's labyrinth and I'm very visual too. i I'd be interested in that, actually. Empathylabyrinth.com. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna look it up. Yeah. There, there's another point that you that you you're touching on by inference that some people will not like. If these traits are embedded in their character, if being dismissive, defensive, dominant, those are the three D's that I think about a lot. If those, if they are embedded in a person's character. And when they're wounded, they're going to become dismissive, defensive, dominant, naturally. Is it okay? Not okay. For sure, not okay. Here's the, here's where people will get triggered. I, I would love your take on it. So they will tell me, he's trying to hurt me. I know. I know. No, 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 Dr. Hawkins. I know this. I know that he is conspiring. He is thinking of ways to just get triggered and react to me. And I say, maybe, maybe, but probably not. Probably, probably he's functioning with a six-year-old brain. And, you know, he's a six-year-old who stomps off to the room and slams the door and says, I'm not coming out for four hours and you will not see me. And I mean, is that, did that six-year-old think about all that or are they just reactive is it okay not okay for sure i'm i can meet you there is it is it predetermined or pre conspired premeditated no it's it's just an immature brain an immature mind an immature character and that's going to take and that by the way then also says 
this is going to be a long uphill. My programs are my programs for men and women. They're a year long. Mm -hmm. So this is not, that's another thing to say to folks is that if you're thinking that this can turn around in four weeks, eight weeks, 16, not going to happen. But do do you, what do you think about, you're nodding your head. So I'm assuming (laughs) you fully agree with me that it's not premeditated. It's not it can feel that way. It can feel diabolical. You're like, yeah. you know, he does it again and again. And they, you know, they do it. Anytime I bring up this, they do that. And they've got to be planning it all out. Yeah. I think it's a dangerous thing to think because that escalates the, the, the distance, the argument between the two, because you think that's premeditated. So they must mean it. They're out to get me. And then you shut down. I think when people can mm. see it as fear, as protective, yeah. Yeah. it's such a different approach. And something my son did that I thought was brilliant when he was out visiting his sister, and she tends to shut down quickly and get defensive. And he kept saying, I'm your friend. I'm your friend. Oh, my word. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, it worked so beautifully because she would just just dissolve all of those defenses immediately. And I think when in Marshall Rosenberg talks about this, too, where you state your intention at the beginning of, you know, a concern, it's I'm here to get closer to you. I want to have this conversation because I love you, not because I'm out to get you. It just sets the tone and being able to know these skills is just so, so valuable. You use another term, Sandy, that uh, I, I talk a lot about and that you said self-protective. And and here's something I'm going to now I'm going to sound like a psychologist because I are <laughs> one. I, I play one in real life. <laughs> and then, when we're triggered, we become self-protective and and nothing, nothing, nothing good happens then when we're triggered and we're reacting. So we all have a part of us when we're triggered, we can, you know, these terms, we can fight. That'll be bad news. We can flight. That'll be bad news. We can freeze. That'll be bad news. And the other one that is good news is flow. That just takes so much work and so much self-awareness and we can all get there, but we have to be aware of the inner shift of when we feel frightened. I love that, that, Look, I'm here for you. I'm I'm not going anywhere. I want to work this out with you. Ah, and we calm down that self-protective tendency on our part and on the part of this person that we're sitting with. So, but boy, this takes great self-awareness and so much practice. And it has to become automatic, you know, like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. There, you're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We can work this out. But self-protective aspects of our character that cause problems. I, I will ask a couple when I'm doing couples counseling, you know, when you're triggered, what do you do? And everybody quickly is able to, oh yeah, oh man, I'm a fighter. I'll just, yeah, I will, <laughs> well, we go at it with each other or, oh, I fight and then I flight. You know, I, I you know, I zing and then I zam. Uh, he or she freezes or whatever. And then you can become, oh, okay, so I fight and then I flight or I fight and then I freeze or I freeze and then I fight, whatever. And we learn more about that. We become more self-aware. We develop more skills. And that gives us a greater capacity to have a healthy relationship. Such important work. I have a podcast with somebody talking about fawn, which is Fawny, another yeah. one that was, yeah, whatever, whatever. 
Yeah, yeah or I, the people pleasing. I, I include that one too. Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I asked that question. How many of you have just sort of like what okay, what whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so destructive. And the person receiving fawning is uh that feels horrible. It feels horrible. So, they all, they, yeah, none of it's all, good. <laughs> they all, the combo. Most people are combo platters, Sandy. You know, yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> they fight. Well, listen, I have people say that like, oh, I, I do that, 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 that. Okay, well, step one is to become aware of what you do and why you do it. So we're all, you know, we're all scared. We're all scared and we're all, uh, I have a lot of men, uh, Sandy, who use this phrase. One guy in particular I'm thinking about, he, and this is so good for him to say this. He says, Dr. Hawkins, when it, when it comes to conflict in a relationship, I'm in over my skis. He's from a mm-hmm. Northern state, you know, I'm over my skis. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and I, man, I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm just like, I'm, I'm grabbing the, I got a hammer and I got a saw. That's all I've got. So, you know, I'm going to use the hammer or the saw and, uh, and it doesn't seem to be working, but anyway. Yeah. No, it takes, this... it, takes it takes great awareness to develop other skills. And Rosenberg, I want to just put a plug in for he's passed away, but boy, learning how to make observations, learning how to share feelings, learning how to get in touch with our deeper inner need, learning how to make positive requests. Is that that if there's a takeaway for folks, learning how just to ask for well, I want to be loved. No, that's not a specific request. Well, feels specific to me. I want to be loved. I want her, him to love me. How do you want? Anyway, you, you, you get it. <laughs> yeah. I always tell my clients, be specific. What does comfort look like to you? What does love look yeah. like? What does, what does security look like to you? And I have a, a new client who's in a relationship she's trying to reconnect with somebody who somebody another coach had told her to break up with and she realized that that was not her choice it was this coach's choice and Ah. it was done with this like extreme way of looking at the situation and I'm helping her to have these conversations with him and to really define what the relationship is to both of them what they both need what happens when they get triggered what they what they do when they they need to resolve something and it's just that specificity asking for what you want and and the first time you do it it's so vulnerable it's like oh my god what if i don't get it yeah yeah <laughs> you know but this stuff is game changing and so so many relationships that you think were done it's because you never said what you needed. You never told that person. I, I, I want to just amplify what you just said, Sandy, because, you know, the world, uh, YouTube land says, leave, just leave, leave, get out, get out now, get out, get, get out while you can. Th- that is really bad counsel. It's bad counsel for a hundred reasons, but I'll give you two. Number one, I would say 98% probably 99, maybe a hundred, but I'm going to, I'm going to give myself a little bit of wiggle room here. We'll call it 98% of the phone calls I get the people requesting my services, which are many far more than I can can handle want the relationship to work. They're still, they care about this person. So they've gone to someone who said, you need to just leave, just leave now. Like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, I'll go and talk to this person and say, okay, I'm done. They're not done. 
they're not done. Now, I'm not I'm not saying to naively hang in there <laughs> till the end of time and just no. But I mean, it, it, look, if, if you still care about this person and you want to see if a possibility if change can possibly happen back to my favorite word, if you want to map out an intervention, which will be good work for you to do. If there's good work for you to do still here, and if you're not D-O-N-E, 2%, and really it's only that, Sandy. I don't know what other YouTubers are, are seeing, but it's not what I'm seeing. The calls that I get are, I want to see if this will work. Will you help me? And the answer is, absolutely, I will. I will. We'll learn about boundaries. We'll learn about uh, understanding your feelings. We'll learn how to make positive requests. And then... And then the intervention will yield more information. And then that will tell you, okay, can I stay? Can I stay well here? By and large, for me, the phone calls I'm getting, the answer is yes. It's hard work. But if you still care about this person, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's get to work. I agree. And if you don't do the work, you're going to keep repeating patterns if you leave this person. Exactly. How, how, how foolish is it just to say to someone, just leave. Well, okay, they're going to be in a relationship again in 12 weeks, maybe eight, maybe four. <laughs> maybe tomorrow. Maybe, to maybe tomorrow. <laughs> so, right, what, really? What, anyway, right. I, I, bad counsel. Exactly. So, David, what are your final words of advice for anyone who wants to go on their last first date? Yeah, I would just say show up well. Show up well and... You know, we all need to be someone who is easy to be with, someone who is very approachable. I know that's not complicated. That's not uh, what I don't even know if you would read about any of that in the books. But I think we're all looking for an easy relationship, someone who is easy to be with. They're approachable. They can be talked to. So you be that person. You be someone who is easy to be with. You're approachable. You're friendly and if you are easy to be with, your relationships, by and large, are going to be more effective. So that's what I would say. I like it. Good advice. All right. Tell us your website. I'll have all the other links in the show notes. It is www.marriagerecoverycenter.com. Marriagerecoverycenter.com. And we've got, we've got a very, uh, what I think is a pretty sophisticated website that'll tell folks about the kind of services that we provide and how to get in touch with me and our clinical team and all of our work with the narcissism and emotional abuse. It's all there and, and my books and everything that they might want and need and how to, how to get some more help for themselves. Well, you are a wonderful source of, of information of healing and recovery. I so enjoyed our conversation today, David. Thank you. Thank you, Sandy. Good to be with you. And thanks everybody for listening. If you love our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And as always, here's to your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application.